Who are you truly and what do you believe deeply? Welcome, my mere mortal lads, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, and I do these reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality, to get deeper into the juicier parts of the books they're reading, to get, bring out the themes, the theories, the things that you might not have thought of when you went through the first time. And today we're going deep indeed because we have a philosophy book. It is Reasons and Persons by Derek Parfit. This book was published in 1984 and it's about 530 pages in length if you include all the notes and appendices that it has. And it's an examination into two particular areas, obviously reasons and persons. So reason, what is it that you truly believe of why we perhaps are in the, here in this world? So sort of getting into the morals and ethics. And then also persons, who are you truly? What are you and how do you change over time and he looks deeply into these two things so the first portion of the book is him arguing against certain theories so in particular the self-interest theory consequentialism and some other related ones or variants of those and then the second part of the book is more more about why believing we are simply our brains or our bodies is wrong and he goes into his particular version of of what he believes and he does this through I suppose an appeal to rationality. So he makes a lot of arguments. The book is just full of arguments and counter arguments and counter counter arguments. And this is why someone would say this to this. And then he, he really goes deep into the minutia and it's rather emotionless in tone. So you won't be seeing many more, many things like, I think I believe this is unfair or things like that. It's really sort of cut and dry. He, he tries to make it as, <laughs> I suppose, yeah, as rational as possible. Now, he makes use of many, many hypothetical cases within the book. I estimate it was probably about between like a very solid, unique one every five to 10 pages. So that roughly equates to maybe 50 to 100 hypotheticals throughout the book. So there are a lot. You got to get prepared yourself for that. And then the rest is arguing about why this particular theory when applied to this doesn't work or creates a paradox or is self-defeating. So the theory gets tangled up in its own web of rationality and, and can't make sense and then continues on. Now, who is Derek Parfit and maybe a little bit about the author in this book in particular. So he was British and exceedingly smart. He seemed to be like one of those guys who could just crush it at school. At, uh, apart from math, I believe, was the only thing he, he wasn't particularly great at. But he wanted to be a poet at some stage, but ended up going into philosophy and specializing in personal identity and ethics and I suppose morals as well. So now many people have said about this book that it was the most important uh, book on moral philosophy since the 1800s. So that's a pretty, a pretty big claim to make. And the book itself is split into four parts. So the four parts that are here are part one, self-defeating theories, part two, rationality and time, part three, personal identity, and part four, future generations with a concluding chapter um, and some appendices. This is further split into 20 chapters with things such as the non-identity problem, the absurd conclusion, the best objection to the self-interest theory, practical dilemmas, five mistakes in moral mathematics. <clears throat> and then here's the kicker. He has a 154 subsections, <laughs> which go throughout all of these. So it's, it's, a, it's an immense book in many, in many different ways. It is, it is really, truly 
a a long read and a, a deep and hard read at that. I'm going to jump into the the themes and I'm going to split this into the obvious section, which is reasons and then persons for the second one. So reasons, what do we have the most reason to do is the question. And he focuses, I suppose, a lot on the setup. So uh, he really goes into stating, but without overly defining as well. So for example, right at the start of book on page four, he says, okay, this is perhaps the the theory that most people across time have believed and that's the self-interest theory. So the this theory quoting, for each person, there is one supremely rational ultimate aim that his life go for him as well as possible. And you might say, okay, that seems pretty pretty reasonable uh, for, for something to live by. You would want your life to go as best as possible. There's, there's not particularly anything wrong with that. Wrong, wrong. <laughs> and he'll go into this in depth why. Uh, some other ones that he also defines here is uh, on uh, which page was this? I think it was page 10. No, can't find it there. Um, on page 95, he's got one about the moral theory, I believe it's called, something like that. Um, and this is where he was saying that uh, a common sense morality in particular. And he says, most of us believe that there are certain people to whom we have special obligations. These are the people to whom we stand in certain relations, such as our children, parents, friends, benefactors, pupils, patients, clients, colleagues, members of our trade union, those whom we represent or our fellow citizens. We believe that we ought to try and save these people from certain kinds of harm and ought to try to give them certain kinds of benefit. Common sense morality largely consists in such obligations. He also has the consequentialism one here, but uh, I've obviously written the page. Oh, here we go. Uh, So this, apologies, it was on chapter 10, but on page 24. And this is where he says, uh, consequentialism argues that there is one ultimate moral aim, that outcomes be as good as possible. Once again, you would say, oh, okay, that's kind of hard to argue it with. Uh, Even me, without knowing that it was consequentialism, have said this previously in the Mere Mortals podcast a bunch of times. Then he uh, also adds uh, certain acts to this, such as uh, C claims both. uh, What each of us ought to do is whatever would make the outcome best. And if someone does what he believes will make the outcome worse, he is acting wrongly. And these are C2, C3, then he's got C4, and I believe it goes up to like C9. He's got quite a few add-ons to these additional theories and whatnot. Uh, another one was on page 100, which was R. And so this one was, uh, let me quickly bring it up here. Ding, 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 ding. R. When M is self-defeating, we should all ideally do what will cause the M given aims of each to be better achieved. <laughs> and this is where it starts to get a little bit hazy because he's coming up with all of these definitions and then counter definitions and really trying to get into the heart of the matter, I guess. Uh, And it it can get a bit much at times. So the bulk of the writing, though, is uh, he argues that we believe too much in S in the self-interest theory. And uh, he only slightly touches on it, but he, he says this is kind of due to religion. And this is one of the first ages when he was writing in 1984 or, you know, a little couple of years prior to that is that we can now use more rationality in a, in a certain sense without the, the overbearing weight of religion on us. So he has a prolonged attack 
on on this particular theory, on the self-interest theory. And in particular, he uses things like the prisoner dilemma. So this is where, you know, there's two prisoners together. They can either rat on the other person or stay stay true. And this forms up a, a, a quadrant where you have different outcomes based on who rats on who. And if both of them don't rat, that, that's the best outcome. If both of them rat on each other, that's the worst outcome. And then the, the two sort of side variants. Uh, saving lives, for example, he'll also talk about, okay, if you're thinking about doing this and saving this person's life, how does that compare to this saving this person's life in this particular case and, and weighing up, I guess, those differences, sort of like the trolley problem, but he doesn't particularly talk about the trolley problem. And other things such as uh, torturers. So if there was torturers and they could do something to you that was uh, imperceptible, it was such a tiny little thing. So maybe like a little pinprick, for example, that you don't even feel, but it's actually doing damage to your body. And then imagine there was a hundred thousand, a million of these things happening to you, which cumulatively add up to uh, pain for you. What is the responsibility of that one torturer and et cetera, et cetera. So there's, these are the sort of arguments that I, I guess are being made. The conclusion that he comes out from this is mostly that S is irrational. So this is a self-interest theory and we need to have more of a unified theory. Now, he doesn't particularly come uh, bearing the gift of what this unified theory is. He has an attempt of it and he comes up with the critical present aim theory and argues that this comes closest. Honestly, it was really hard for me to actually even dive deep and really nail down what the critical present aim theory is. So I will just sort of put that to the side for the moment and say the bulk of the book of, of at least this first section concerned with reasons and which is what is uh, what do we have the most reason to do? This is where he says, nah, self-interest theory, bad, critical present aim theory, as he gets to it through a very long series of, of arguments is uh, the preferred way to do things. Now, the second theme that I'm going to cover on is, you bet it, <laughs> persons. And so your beliefs about your identity over time are false, is essentially what he's arguing here. Now, he, I'll skip to, I suppose, one of the conclusions, which is reduction. reductionism is the way. And this is essentially that you are the sum of your parts. So for, in this case, you are your brain and you are your body, but you're not simply either of those. So there's this... Uh, a mixing between the two of them, which which uh, doesn't particularly uh, make maybe doesn't make intuitive sense. So, for example, if you simply took my brain, put it into a computer, he would argue, no, that's not the same person as, as me. He would also argue that um, if you know I grab someone else's brain, which was identical to to mine in v almost every single way, except that person had a, a different um, identity perhaps they didn't call themselves Chiron for example they called themselves Kyrena uh, and put it into my body in you know put it all perfectly working up all connected he would say also say no that's not the same person but a, a combination of these two sort of um, things could potentially result in me being the same person elsewhere now this is where he gets into the relation R. So this is on page 215. And I think it's a kind of useful thing to talk about because he, he really focuses a whole lot on this. And so um, his view is that uh, personal identity is not what matters. Um, uh, 
And this is where he says, what matters is relation R. So psychological connectedness and or continuity with the right kind of cause. And this gets into a lot of different things and, and makes it hard. But essentially, he's uh, arguing that you are the person who is sort of connected to that identity over a series of time. So, for example, when I go to sleep and wake up, there is a period, a section there where I'm, I'm you know, unconscious. And so, what is exactly happening there? We can't be particularly sure, but you can pretty much say, oh, okay, I am the person that went to sleep uh, on the you know, 19th of June. And then I woke up on the morning of the 20th of June. That is pretty much the same person. Whereas if you now start to create the, the, the hypothetical of, okay, what about you went to sleep on the 19th of June when you were uh, a baby in, let's say, 1994, which would have been my case. And then you wake up on the 20th of June in 2022 and you are now, you know, 20, uh, 28 years older, what are you the same person there? And this is where he would say probably, no, no, that that's not exactly the same person. You're still in uh, a, a similar body. I, well, not really because you've changed from a, a tiny little baby into this, you know, grown hulking man that you see before you today. But the, that that's not exactly the same person. And there's something to do with time that, that, mixes up with this as well so he brings this to a i I suppose a a pretty definitive point with the uh i example that we are closer to nations or clubs than we are to whatever we currently think we are uh, which is sort of a a person in a in a in a body and so he will he brings this uh through this example which is essentially Imagine a club and uh, you've got people who are joining it over time, so a soccer club. Some people leave one year, they, uh, new people come in and you can kind of say that, yeah, you know what, the, this club, uh, let's call them the Sharks, were they're, they're, that's still the same club 30 years later, even though you might not have a single member who was originally in the club in this, in this club that is 30 years later. So can you really say it's, it's the same club? you'd still probably say, yeah, yeah, sure. It's got a, a kind of tradition to it. Uh, even though new people join, they start to embody the club. So when they, on the day they first join, they're, they're not particularly a member of it. But as they grow on and as they spend more years in it, you could say, yeah, you know what? That person's now a member of the club. And so even though they weren't originally one, they have become one. He argues a very similar thing for us. Uh, and imagine, I guess, a, a different situation where you have the Sharks and then all the members leave and then a, a new club forms two meters away from where the original one started, uh, all with different people and they also call themselves the Sharks. Is that the same club? In this case, you'd probably say no, no, because there's not a single person who's from the first one in the second one. They might have the same name, but they don't have that essence within it, that... that um, that uh, uh, qualia, I guess, if you want to call it. Okay, this is me just uh, bringing up something that wasn't in the book, so scratch that last bit. But it is it is a, a, a difference between the two, and this is how he argues we should view ourselves more. So uh, even though I am the Chiron, that uh, I, I can somewhat see the connectedness to that baby from uh, you know th- uh, 28 years ago, 
it's not it's not exactly the same person and um, you know what i can somewhat agree with this but you know that's getting into my my personal um observations too early so this is i guess the bulk of of what he uh, covers in part three of the book and then part four is all on future generations so this is where he gets into how much should we care about future people answer a lot (laughs) he really he really cares a lot about future people and he's sort of also asking the question in this section uh you know what would have happened if we had not been born like who who would have we have been if we had not been born sort of thing and once again, extremely complicated, and it, the, this this section in particular, I really struggled to get through the the first three. I could somewhat, but the this last bit on on part four, oof, it, it was it was pretty tough going. So these are the I suppose some of the conclusions, roughly that is he comes through, and I'll, I'll give some um, personal observations and takeaways that I've I've taken from this book. It's a mix of intuitive and then completely the opposite, non-intuitive of, of what he's suggesting. And uh, in particular, his concluding chapter where he roughly sum, roughly sums up everything that he's gone through. Uh, there's, there's some things which I, I can pretty much agree with in some of the hypotheticals and then others which really challenge, I guess, what I would intuitively say is the is is the wrong answer. So, for example, some of these would be uh, a fertilized egg gradually becomes a human. So, uh, if you you can't particularly say on the very moment of conception where the you know the spermatozoa, whatever it's called, enters into the egg, you can't particularly say that as a human. But you can definitely say a, a baby just before it's about to to exit the womb that is a human. Um, and his sort of uh, theories, his conclusions, his his overall beliefs allow for it to for these two states to exist, and that it's somewhere in the middle is is where you can roughly say that's a human, and then this also can uh, differ on a case by case basis. So for me, that one seems to make relative th- sense. Uh, also, another one, which is that criminals deserve less punishment. Uh, if they have changed over time. So if you, you wouldn't particularly say, or at least I wouldn't, that the the young man who who committed a crime, shot someone, for example, if he's spent, you know, decades in prison, has spent a lot of time deeply thinking on what he did and, uh, you know, examining himself, why he chose to make that decision over time, you, I, I think it's reasonable to say, yeah, that, that person then doesn't deserve the exact same amount of punishment as that one who committed it on on the on the day you know decades earlier so those ones i I can say yeah you know what that's kind of intuitive and then there's others which are are not so much for me so in this case if you've been teletransported for example so uh, this is think of the classic star trek star trek beam me up scotty sort of thing if that person who uh, now normally you can sort of somewhat imagine the person who is uh, on on Earth, for example, gets disintegrated, and then another person who is me instantly appears on Mars. And you could say, okay, I guess somewhat I could sort of see how that's this that is me. But then, what happens, for example, if I don't get disintegrated, I only get partially disintegrated, or I get a huge dose of radiation that'll kill me kill me in four days? Can I be the person here who's dying 
and then go on a, a Zoom call or a Skype call or a video call with that other person, that other Chiron on Mars, can I say that I, that is the same person? I would say no. Um, Derek Parfit pretty much argues, no, that is, that is the same person, that is you, because they have the psychological connectedness, this, this uh, relation R that I, I previously mentioned. Uh, another one which would be someone somewhat along the lines of more uh, the repugnant conclusion is is uh, a classical philosophy which is where imagine you had 10 people with amazing lives let's call them you know 100 they're 100 percent on the whatever metric it is you use to measure that someone has had a good life and then you had 50 billion people and they all had a 99% on that on that same chart which of these two situations is is better overall he somewhat starts to to conclude oh, okay it's it'd be the 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 more people than the billions of people at 99% and then the repugnant conclusion is if you take this to its logical limits it would be best to have a world with quadrillions and quadrillions and quadrillions of people all living a tiny mediocre life just above where you could say, yeah, you know what, that's that's a life worth living. So you have you know a life where it's kind of blandness, whatever, and then one day someone gives you a compliment, and then that's that's it. That's that's your whole life. He he somewhat comes to the conclusion once again. It's really hard to to pass it out because he. He writes so much. He writes so, so many things that it's really hard to pin down for me what exactly he was trying to say. So there uh, there will be things, parts in this book, I think, where if you're reading it and you come in sort of blind in, in essence, uh, you will agree with some of the things that he, he writes, some of his conclusions, and then you'll probably not agree with uh, some of them as well. And I've, I found it to be a bit of a mix. Now, the main conclusion that he comes up with, and this is right in his concluding chapter, so on page 443 in particular, is this is what he says. Uh, Even though I've reached various conclusions, most of these have one common feature, and that's impersonality. And so he says, my two subjects are reasons and persons. I've argued that in various ways, our reasons for acting should become more impersonal. Greater impersonality may seem threatening, but it would often be better for everyone. And so this is where um, is it's it's one of the really the only places where I can see there's a practical use case for for everything that's been written in, written in here, which is that he found a way for himself to by by becoming more impersonal to not worry about his death so much, and he and and allowed him to have greater concern for future people, for people other than himself, and for future generations. This was, I, I suppose, one of my main gripes with the book, which was that it was that was that's nice, that's that's cool, but with everything else, it lacks that practicality. I really came out of this book saying, okay, that that's a cool argument. Um, I don't fully understand it, but you know, I'll I'll take a leap of faith somewhat, and uh, and I'll that that uh, you know maybe I understand ninety percent of it and I'll, I'll take that leap of faith on the other ten percent to the conclusions that you've got. What do I now do with that that conclusion? How how is this going to change? Uh, you know, I can see okay, I can accept it, I can think differently, but how is that going to change how I act differently? And apart from that one little example I gave there, there's there's really nothing I can take from this and say. Uh, 
yes, this is this is going to make me a better person because I believe this. Uh, I even though he made some maybe great arguments for for why S had the self interest theory and consequentialism is is crap compared to the critical present aim theory. <laughs> if I followed either of those two and thought about them more, I don't see how that would make my life worse, for example, and I'm not sure how thinking about his would make my life better. I really just came out of this just going, why? why? Like, what's what, what can I do with this? What can I really do with this? And this is uh, getting into, I suppose, like the effective fossil philosophy that Juan and I have, have talked about on the Mere Mortals podcast, which is it's nice thinking about things for sure and uh, so many hypotheticals, great, I love them. It can be quite fun in, in certain cases and, and point out maybe ways that I, uh, I, I might have some contradictory beliefs but what am I going to do about it? How can I use this? And I just couldn't find a way to, to get these things and be, and be able to, to use them and, and to be able to use them to change my everyday behavior. So that was, uh, that was, I suppose, my main um, takeaway that I took from this book. It's not particularly useful. <laughs> so in summary, I would say it's probably a book for philosophers. So if you're really deep into philosophy already, I'm sort of, testing my putting my toes in the water and to be honest i haven't really been enjoying the classical philosophy books such as niche heidegger um camus and you know all the ones that i've read over this past year have leave have left me kind of underwhelmed and i think you need to have a pretty good grasp on many of the theories that he puts in here to really be able to appreciate his arguments and so things like the the self-interest theory consequentialism the relation R over time, the impersonality, the, these uh, these sorts of things, and and even many of his examples, such as the prisoner dilemma, I'd, I'd known about this from game theory, so I sort of understood that that section a bit more. <laughs> I, I feel like you need to have a lot of groundwork already built up to to maybe get the full juicy fruits from this book um, that that are that are to be gotten. The so yeah, you need to have a grasp on, I suppose, 20 things and to be able to understand the minutiae of, of his arguments and why this argument is, is rock solid, for example, and doesn't, and ha- doesn't have any of his perhaps irrationality or emotions taking part in it. Uh, general conclusion, I'd say, still seem quite vague. And the use of... So for, even when he was concluding things, I didn't, I didn't come out of it and I would have quoted them more if they'd been more rock solid like bam this is the concluding thing i believe this and so this uh there, there just wasn't a whole lot of that so that that i struggled with that and then there was so many hypotheticals and then the use of double negatives or triple negatives so it was you know if i hadn't been born on this date what would i not have done uh had i not been x that that sort of thing occurred quite a bit and I, I didn't have the the energy to to really try and pass out every single argument he made. It was it was too much for me. So I somewhat liked this book overall in the sense that uh, when I was writing out these concluding chapters, it made a lot more sense to me. But whilst reading it, poof, nah, nah, it wasn't it wasn't up my alley. So honestly, for me, it wasn't worth reading this. If I had just watched this review instead, 
I, I, I would have been much, much happier instead of having to put in the, I don't know how many hours worth of effort I put into this, but way too much, way too much. So overall, Reasons and Persons by Derek Parfit. I'm giving it a five out of 10. Um, take on at your your peril or at your own, you know, if, if any of the things I said sparked your curiosity, if you love hypotheticals, if you love um, deep, really deep arguments, which can be kind of a mind bender, maybe this is a book for you, but it wasn't for me, unfortunately. And so that is it for today, my mere mortal ads. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. Have you read Reasons and Persons by Derek Parfit? Have you read much philosophy in general? I would love to know... Uh, any of these comments, questions that you have. And the best way to do that is to send me a boostergram. So if you're using a decent podcasting app, which I would highly recommend because I also include links uh, to what I'm talking about. I also include some chapter images and things so you can skip forward if you want or have a better understanding, a visual interpretation of perhaps of what I'm talking about. And uh, I, I put all of this effort in and to get it, you'd need to go to a new podcastapp.com. Some that I can recommend are Fountain or Curiocaster, Castomatic, Podverse. All of these are, are pretty damn decent apps. And you can send me a message with a payment of Satoshi's attached to it. It takes a little bit of understanding to get used to, but once you start doing it, it makes 110%. And I read out all of the boostergrams on my book recap at the end of the month. So... Once again, thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron out.